welcome to the latest episode of Future Thinking with me, Chris Lowley, the editor of CityWire Selector. It feels like a long time ago that I started this podcast series and in very different circumstances. An often used quote from Vladimir Lenin at the moment is there are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. And it's in that context of time or demographics more specifically that we continue this week. Last week, we spoke to Josh Bielli of Aviva Investors, who is an up-and-coming millennial fund selector, and we heard about his experience on the selection side. Now, we're looking at the client side. We're joined today by Luke Bars, Head of Fundamental Equity Client Portfolio Management at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Luke is an expert in changing tastes, how this new investor base is putting its cash to work, and what influence, if at all, Generation Z will have on millennial thinking. Sit back, enjoy, and I'll speak to you after. Welcome to the latest episode of Future Thinking with me, Chris Slowly. My guest today is Luke Bars. Luke, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate you having me on. I should probably actually say who you are and where you're from. So Luke is the Head of Fundamental Equity Client Portfolio Management for EMEA at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. So one of the reasons I thought it would be good to speak to you, one of the reasons we did discuss beforehand, was the emphasis on millennials and the way in which millennial trends are changing and evolving. We've heard already in the series from a fund selector on the millennial side of things, but now we're going to talk about it on the client side of things. So if you could just give me a bit of background of where you deal with millennials, how they intersperse with your life and how you see that trend evolving and changing. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've identified within our business a number of key mega trends that we think will likely drive growth over the coming decades. And arguably one of the most disruptive aspects of that is the change in consumption habits and the change in behavioral tendencies that we're seeing born out of the millennial generation. And I guess, Chris, just taking a step back just for context, when we think of the millennial generation, what we're really talking about here are people born between 1980 and 2000. So they're really people now who are moving into peak income years. And what we've noticed within that demographic cohort is not only is it the largest demographic cohort globally, but it is now increasingly the wealthiest in terms of annual incomes. So if you look at it today, we're actually seeing millennial consumption power increase rapidly over the course of the next five years, will likely go up by something like 20% against the backdrop of baby boomers and Gen X actually seeing their consumption spending slow as they move into retirement or post-retirement years. Well, it seems like, I mean, the, the retirement point is really interesting there because one of the things that I sent across beforehand was we are all in lockdown. We're all working remotely. Mm. And one thing that's happened is baby boomers, the, the hegemony, the people who have been in those positions of power and wealth, are having to adapt and adopt a lot of millennial living at the moment. Are you seeing that? Is that something you're also seeing? The trend isn't just within millennials, but it is bleeding into different demographics as well. That's absolutely right. And I think this is something we've discussed at length over the last few weeks, unfortunately, and, and it's a very tough backdrop. But the reality is, Many, many people who previously wouldn't have to think in this way have had to think as millennials or have had to adopt millennial behavioral tendencies, in particular, I'd say around things like digitalization. So when we, when we look at millennials, and just part of the reason we're so excited about this as an investment theme, is there's really two big disruptive trends that are coming out of this. Obviously, all attached to the fact that they are becoming wealthier, they are spending money in different ways. But I would say the two aspects of that are the fact that they are the first generation of digital natives. So their comfort with technology and their comfort doing things online is very different to prior generations. And then the second aspect that we have identified is also the fact that they do have this aspiration for lifestyle and for experiences. And obviously, that's very difficult. And so we can talk about that later, uh, just in the context of what we're going through with COVID-19 crisis. That aspect is, is far more challenging. But the digitalization side of things, I think, is crucial. 
And so what we've seen over the last couple of months, or at least the last six to eight weeks in most developed markets, is the rapid acceleration in adoption rates of millennial tendencies. Right? Just to give you a very short example, if you looked at the US and you think about online grocery shopping, on average over the last five years, that's been about 3% online penetration. In other words, for every $100 that's spent on groceries, only $3 would be spent online. We've seen in the last couple of weeks, clearly that go up exponentially. We're now finding almost half of all people are having to do their shopping online because the ability to go out and shop at the store is materially restricted by lockdowns and other concerns. And actually, you've seen the vast majority of those new adoptees coming from older generations. So people who previously hadn't maybe shopped online or hadn't used online services for things like groceries actually being forced into using them. And so the real big question for us here is, does this change the pace of adoption? We fully accept that e-commerce penetration across all industries is likely to become an increasingly dominant theme if it isn't already. But the question now is people who have been shown what that can do in terms of efficiency, of their day-to-day -day lives or have been shown the simplicity of some of those services, are they going to go back to doing exactly what they did previously or are we going to see that acceleration in adoption of those technologies? That's exactly what I was going to ask because I'm, I'm as much a creature, have, creature of habit as anyone, but it depends how deeply ingrained it gets, I guess, because if you do become used to it, it is easy. You don't have to, you live remotely, you don't have to go out to miles and you can get these things, then maybe that speed of adoption could increase. I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, that's absolutely our view. And it's not to say that people won't go back to normal in some ways. I think it's hard to see the world being exactly the same as it was previously, but absolutely we will see a, a mean reversion in some areas of our day-to-day -day lives. But I think on something like e-commerce, it's just about optimizing your, your life, right? If something can be so simplistically solved for and can save you time, are you going to automatically revert to doing what you were doing previously? And it's not to say that people weren't aware of the potential optimization or efficiency gain that came from using e-commerce and other solutions. It's just to say they probably hadn't really gone into a huge amount of detail in terms of figuring out, well, what can they actually do online? And so as that's become a little bit more apparent through this forced adoption during this coronavirus crisis, so we'd expect people to feel more comfortable, feel more familiar with it. And net net, that means when you come out the other side, actually you don't get a complete reversion to the mean. You get a lot of people staying and using those solutions and, and technologies in the future. Well, I mean, that bleeds onto when, when, um, a question I had about disruptive tech trends in general, because we do get mm. the idea that millennials are sort of shaggy-haired hoodie wearers from Silicon Valley who are just going mm. around trying to develop new and new products. But how much are they pivotal? Millennials as a, a demographic in driving, it's an overused word, but disruption and the ability to think not just where we've talked there about consumption and, and online shopping, which has become more commonplace, but in new and innovative areas. And how much are you able to tap into those types of areas? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, well, firstly, it's very important that people recognize the consumption power of the millennial demographic. So if you look at millennials in aggregate, we're talking about 2.3 billion people globally. Now, that is, as I said previously, the single largest demographic cohorts and we will see their consumption power increase roughly, as I said, 20% over the next five years. Now, that means they are incredibly important. And so companies have to have a game plan for how they're going to sell to millennials. Now, that means if you're a traditional business that's, let's say, sold products offline, you have to have a complementary online solution because that's clearly what millennials are gravitating towards in terms of point of entry into some of those offerings. 
I think it's also very relevant in terms of the ethical aspects of what the product offering is. You're seeing across millennials that they're spending money on products that align to their values. So in particular around things like environmental sustainability, um, very important that they have a brand that can associate with some of those sustainable values and goals that millennials definitely harbor. And then I'd say the last part of this, and this is really an exponential growth theme that we've seen in the last five to 10 years, but we'd expect to see it continue, especially as you consider emerging markets, is this lust for experiences. As we said, millennials have put much greater value on experiences as opposed to physical products. And so if you contrast millennials to maybe prior generations, actually you're seeing a huge amount of their discretionary spending going on things like travel, on leisure, on wellness, on exercise. And whilst a lot of those are very challenging to do in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, there's no doubt that that's still a long-term trend. And just to give you one statistic around that, when you break down that 2.3 billion people in the millennial demographic cohort, almost 90%, I think at this point, 86% of them are actually in emerging markets. And in both China and India, you have somewhere between 400 and 450 million millennials in each country. And so you're really talking about a huge demographic force, but also a huge consumer force. And if those individuals are really aspiring to spend money on new types of experiences, that can be an extremely disruptive force. That's really interesting because it, it could also create, I know they, this has been talked about for a long time, the, the emerging markets and that rising middle class, that rising middle income. And if you have a huge new group of people who also think differently, then that's going to have huge ramifications for the way those markets those countries operate in the wider world, I assume. Absolutely. And so we've said this, and I've got colleagues that I work with who are from India and from China, and there's no doubt that their parents' generation was very focused on ensuring they had their children well-educated, they were healthy, they had good, staple food product where available. And so that incremental middle-income spending was very much on simple, staple products. And actually what we found as you've gone through the, the recent, and I, again, to use the phrase disruption of the millennial generation is yes, there's still demand for those types of products, but their wealth is increasing at a very rapid pace. And where they're putting that discretionary or incremental dollar is into some of these experiences. So the aspiration to travel, and let's take China as a good case in point, as much as we've seen a huge flood of tourists coming out of China over the last 10 years, it's also important to recognize that only about 15% of Chinese people have a passport. Now, that's gone up by about 10% in the last decade. We're still talking about only, roughly speaking, 150 million to 200 million people in China actually having the ability to travel. We'd expect to see that go up probably another 10% at a minimum over the next decade. And so you're talking about notionally another 100 million people with the ability to travel internationally. That is a very significant and disruptive trend that I think actually you can invest in and find very interesting ways of playing within the context of a longer term equity portfolio. Looking along, oh, <clears throat> I might have to edit that bit out. Sorry. Looking along those themes, you did touch upon ethical as an idea as well. And one thing that seems to go hand in hand is the idea that, as well as experiences, they want long-term ESG or sustainability-focused themes. Is that too much of a generalisation, though? Is are there nuances within the millennial story? So I think that's an it's an interesting question, and I think that is partly tied into the types of companies millennials are buying products from. And I think it also ties partly into the types of investments that millennials are making. Now, I do think there's a degree to which we have to think about the contrast between emerging market millennial consumer and developed market millennial consumer. And I think there are some commonalities between both, but it is fair to argue that 
the pace of wealth creation in parts of Asia, for example, and the starting point for that going back maybe even over five or 10 years means that actually we're probably not universally at the point where millennials are putting clear demand on on sustainability, though if you contrast it to the prior generation, actually it is disproportionately high. I would say in the developed market world, there's no doubt that that's a very, very strong case in point. You've seen a lot of the focus on environmental sustainability across Europe, in the US even, um, over the last couple of quarters. Obviously, the Greta Thunberg effect has been very, very significant. But I think that does play into how millennials view products and view businesses. If you have a brand that associates itself or, or appropriately aligns itself to some of those environmental goals, then actually that can be very appealing and vice versa. If you are exploiting aspects of the environment in your production process or in your product offering, that's going to be highly criticized. And I think it does also play through into how you think about millennials investment habits, right? We don't have, there's no doubt that still the dominant amount of investment wealth sits with elder generations. But if you look at the likelihood of generational wealth transfer that will happen over the next couple of decades, and the reality that millennials are disproportionately interested in ESG and impact-oriented investments, then I think it's very fair to argue that that is the direction the industry will also go. We, it's an interesting point you make there because it is as much as millennials have been around since the 1980s, it, the ones who have got meaningful amounts of investment, I know you said that we are moving to the point where they are the biggest group and they will have the biggest combined wealth. How we, how much can we actually analyze what trends they would like to follow and how much they are thinking super long-term when they are still relatively new, I would say, in being at the, the top of the pecking order, so to speak? Yeah, that's a, it's a very, very fair question. I, I think always with these types of regime changes, for want of a better phrase, you have to you have to look long term and you have to believe that what you're seeing can continue into perpetuity. And of course, there's going to be aspects of this theme that maybe die off through time. But the headline here, which is greater digitalization, greater value on experiences over physical products and greater value placed on it and sustainability, all three of those we think will be enduring and fairly pervasive themes over the coming decades. And I think to your point earlier, we're going to likely see that accelerate across all three of those because you do have elder generations being forced adopters of some of those tendencies. But I think the other key point to remember is that newer generations that are coming through, so those that are younger than millennials that are coming through sure. will likely move into, into peak income years in the coming two decades or so, actually are much more aligned to millennials in their tendencies than prior generations. Right. So just to very much simplify it, but if you think about baby boomers and Gen X versus millennials and Gen Z, then really the biggest contrast there is the digitalization and the fact that once you move past that millennial generation, each incremental generation that's coming through is comfortable with technology, is very familiar with some of those. Now the technology that they will use and adopt will change through time, but the underpinning or, or secular trend around things like data usage or online penetration is unlikely to, to revert back to where it was previously. That's a really good point because I, I think I underestimated how much the digitalization, this na digital natives versus digital immigrants has divided and it's unlikely unless something absolutely huge and unknowable happens that we will have such a seismic shift again that would split millennials and Gen Z or I'm not even sure what the next one, I think they go on to Gen Alpha after that. I think my son who's three counts as Gen Alpha, but I don't think anybody's worrying about his spending habits just yet. Hopefully not. I hope not. Luke, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to join me. 
No, Chris, an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. There we go. Not a mention of avocado toast to be had. That was Luke Bars discussing the millennial experience. Now, showing even further coordination than we'd ever planned, next week's edition of Future Thinking will build on these themes again. As both mentioned ESG as a topic, next week we'll be joined by Ben McEwen of Saracen Partners. Ben is one of very few dedicated climate investment analysts who looks at the investment opportunities created by climate change and also what climate risk means for financial assets. It's perhaps one of the most important topics facing the globe and also the financial industry. So please join us next time for that. And in the meantime, stay safe and I hope to speak to you soon.